this past year has been kind of uh, unstable, unpredictable, and kind of tough for, for many of us in different ways. Uh, many of us may be looking to Christmas this, this next week, this season, as a time of rest or a, a respite of sorts, like to, away from the craziness surrounding this time. It is, it is comforting to eat the traditional foods that maybe your grandma or your mother makes at Christmas as it reminds you of the special time with family. Or we see, uh, like at our house, the lights reflecting off the, the windows and the lights that just colors the walls that reflects. And it just reminds us of, us of the special time that we're taking and, and enjoying this time. It's a respite away from the craziness of this past year. And the, today, this morning, I want to remind us of the eternal respite that we have from our sins because of Jesus Christ and why, because of why he came to the earth to save his people from their sins. And so this morning, I would like us to read through the narrative of the birth of this promised king as recorded by Matthew in his account of the gospel that, that Keith read from. And to remember the respite we have, the eternal rest we have from our sins because of Jesus Christ the Savior. So if you have not already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to be reading quite a bit of scripture today. So if you have your Bibles uh, physically or on your phone, or if you don't have one, there's a Bible in the front of your pew there. We're going to be reading a lot because I want us just to, as, as Keith said, to remind us of this, this account of Jesus Christ, his birth, and during this special time. And so let's pick up. Chapter 1, verse 17 is what we'll actually start in. Matthew, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And you'll see that I skipped the genealogy, but let's, let's talk about this. To really understand the significance of this verse, this passage, we, kinda, we need to think and see things as if we were Jews at that time. And so that's what I want us to do. So just a big picture. If you're new to the Bible, if you're open up to that first page in Matthew, if you turn back a page, you'll probably see some dividing uh, page that says the New Testament. And then if you go back another page, you'll be in Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament, builds up to this moment here in Matthew. It builds up, pointed to the one who is coming, the Messiah King who is coming, the Christ is coming. Literally, it all builds up to this one moment, the Messiah King, this figure who brings salvation and righteous judgment. Now imagine, you're a Jew at this time, and you remember the promises that God has made to you and your people. Because you hear, as a Jew, you'll hear scripture read every single day, definitely every Sabbath. You hear the words of God preached, the scripture as in the Old Testament. And you would know the promises that God has made to you and your people. You would know the promises of God to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant that through Abraham's offspring, the nations will be blessed. There's one who's coming, the offspring of Abraham. Through him, all the nations will be blessed. And as a Jew, you would know the promises of God to David in the Davidic covenant, that there is one coming from the royal line of David 
whose kingdom will be established forever. There will be no end to this Davidic king. There will be no end. And you have heard these promises articulated again and again in the prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all of them rearticulating that there's one to come, this king who is coming, the one in whom all our hope culminates in, who is coming. He's bringing salvation for his people and he's bringing righteous judgment on the wicked. You would know that. And then even as you would sing the Psalms on Sabbath in the synagogue and they talk about this righteous king who is coming, salvation, rest in this king. And so you would know that as a Jew during that time, you would know the promises of God. And you would hang on to it because you know also the history of your people and how it was absolutely brutal. How Assyria came in and slaughtered your people and took them. Then a couple, about a hundred years or so later, the Empire of Babylon came, slaughtered a lot of people and took your people, absolutely devastated the land. And then as you're hearing this, as a Jew at this time, you're a conquered people under the empire of Rome. And so you would hold on to these promises of this king to come who's bringing his righteous kingdom. You would hold on to this. You know those promises. Just like our kids eagerly right now, they eagerly wait for Christmas. They may, you maybe have some gifts underneath the, the Christmas tree and they're just, they can't even wait. I'm not sure if school's done for the, the now, Velda say no. So maybe not, but maybe there's still some waiting, but you're waiting through classes and you can't wait until Christmas time, Christmas comes and you can open up gifts. And just like that, you as a Jew during that time, you are eagerly waiting for this king who's coming. This king who's coming. Your people have been waiting for centuries. This king is coming. It's been promised. He's a promised king and he's coming. And then you open up to Matthew the first verse in Matthew reads this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God. Son of Abraham. I misread that. So you've got Jesus of Nazareth. He's, he's here on the setting. He's of the line of Abraham. He's of the royal lineage of David. And this isn't just claimed, but it's proven by Matthew in this genealogy. He shows he even says conclusively that from Abraham debated David 14 generations. From David to the deportations, 14 generations. And then from the deportations to the Christ, 14 generations. And you might be thinking, well, what is the significance of these 14? What's so significant about this? And the reason is because Matthew is emphasizing again that he is the king. Jesus is the king. So, uh, we're going to take a little turn here. So in Hebrew, the letters of the Hebrew language is also representative of numbers. Like uh, Aleph is the first letter that refers to number one. as a numerical value of one. David, the name of David, King David, is spelled with three letters. It's Dalet, Vav, Dalet. And Dalet has a numerical value of four, and Vav has a numerical value of six. So four plus six plus four, 14. And so Matthew is emphasizing again that this is a special guy. This is a special kid, that baby boy in the manger. He is special. Everything about him is that he's kingly. He's majestic. This is a royal baby. So Matthew emphasizes this, that this is the promised king, the promised Christ we've been waiting for. If you recall back in our study of Galatians, uh, in Galatians 3, Paul writes and he emphasizes that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations are blessed. Jesus is the one 
Jesus is that offspring, and Jesus is of the royal line of David, and he is that king who brings his kingdom. He brings salvation for his people, and he brings righteous judgment for the wicked. This is the birth of the promised king. This is what we're reading in Matthew. And he's born in Bethlehem. And we see within this account of Matthew here, everything about his birth fulfills promises. Everything surrounding his birth fulfills prophecy. Look at this. His virgin conception fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah. Uh, if, you, if you're still in Matthew 1, look at verse 22. Matthew writes, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The location of his birth fulfills the prophecy from Micah. This is uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Matthew writes, They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, and who will shepherd my people Israel. And the location of his hometown that he grows up in, which is different than where he's born, fulfills prophecy. Uh, chapter 2, verse 23, at the end of chapter 2, Matthew records, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. I want to pause there for one second and a quick note on this prophecy, because this is a promise about the, the, the coming king. We are not sure what this is referring to in terms of what prophecy. There's a, there's a chance that it refers uh, possibly from the Hebrew word for branch in Isaiah 11.1. 1. But Matthew writes that this prophecy was spoken by the prophets, plural. So there's a very good chance that what, what uh, Matthew is doing here is saying that Nazarenes, if recalled, they were absolutely despised and scorned in Jesus' time. Uh, you may remember in John chapter 1, when Nathaniel hears that Jesus, the Christ, is coming from Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth. No one liked Nazareth. No one did. And so possibly what Matthew is tying here is how all the prophets, plural, they spoke how when the Messiah comes, he will be despised. He'll be hated. Just remember Isaiah 53. He will be hated and persecuted. And so there's a chance that that's what Matthew is referring to is that Jesus will be like the Nazarenes when he comes because the prophets spoke about how he will be hated when he comes. But there's more. The escape from Herod's wrath, as we'll read, fulfills prophecy even. From Hosea, chapter 2, verse 14, And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then the last one, Even Herod's slaughtering of the male children, even that event fulfills prophecy from Jeremiah. And this is recorded in chapter 2, verse 17 of Matthew, when he writes, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So that baby born in Bethlehem that we, we celebrate this week, he is the promised king. He's born in a manger, very unroyally, if, if I can say that, completely unmajestic, but he is the king. He's the promised king. All the promises surrounding this. Remember, uh, I said, or I mentioned how uh, the Psalms, the Jews would sing the Psalms, especially on the Sabbath and a good chance throughout, uh, throughout the week. They'd sing Psalms. That's, that's their songbook. And many of the Psalms 
speak of this Messiah to come, this Christ to come. And one of them is Psalm 2. I love this psalm. Read, uh, listen to this. The psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell all the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise." Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so we get this picture of the royalty, the kingship of the Messiah, the, the, the Christ who is to come. And I love this psalm because it refers to who I serve, who we serve. Jesus Christ, he is king, he is Lord, and he is Savior. And more than that, he is God. Continue with me in the narrative here in Matthew. Pick him back up in chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So the promised one that we see here is not only king, but he is God. And this is evident from the virgin conception or the virgin birth. The angel reassures Joseph Mary was not unfaithful. She was not unfaithful. The child that grows in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel says to Joseph, and as, uh, as we've read in Luke, how the angel Gabriel explained it to Mary is that the, the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary. And she conceived. If you remember when we read that in Luke, the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary and she conceived. So the king here is both man and God, has no sin, does not inherit guilt from Adam at all. He's completely sinless. Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we confess in the, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So this promised king is both man and God. 
And we see further uh, as, as Matthew starts digging into this narrative, these unique events that surround the birth of this baby boy who is pretty much unknown in that land at the time, who's in a manger. These unique events. Look at this. Uh, he says, we know from Luke that an angel appears to Mary telling her what's about to happen. We just read here how an angel explains to Joseph what's happening. And don't forget the star that guided the wise men to Jerusalem, to Jesus, that God literally dictated the movement of the heavens, the universe, for this purpose. The angel appears to Joseph later, as we read, about fleeing Egypt. An angel appears to the wise men about not going back to Herod. An angel appears to, to, in a dream to Joseph about going back to Israel when it's fine. And then in a dream, Joseph is warned to go to Galilee. And there's so many unique things going around this unknown baby that's born in Bethlehem, who's pretty much obscure at that time. There's so many unique things going on. There's angels involved. There's God literally changes the universe over this one star to show this. This baby's unique. He's obscure right now, but he's unique. He is the promised king. As Matthew says, quoting, I believe, Micah, his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. In the Old Testament, before the temple was built, um, you may remember that God's presence dwelt with the Israelites in the tabernacle. As they went from place to place, God dwelt. His presence was, uh, was in the tabernacle. And if you recall back in Exodus, the tabernacle was kind of a, a, a big, massive tent that they would put up and that they would take down and carry to the next place God leads and put it up again. And that's where the tabernacle was. And in fact, because it, it, it represented God's presence where they sacrificed, made sacrifices to God, when they camped, the tabernacle would be in the middle and all 12 tribes of Israel would surround it. This was the presence of God in the middle of Israel, with Israel. Now, in the Apostle John's account of the gospel, he has that glorious prologue. And in it he says this. You may remember this. This is verse 14 of chapter 1. He writes this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what's significant here is that the word for dwelt is literally tabernacle. It's the verb form. And so literally it says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Just as God tabernacled, was literally with the tribes of Israel, God in Jesus Christ is with us. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. We are not alone because God is with us. Emmanuel. And we see that the men, the wise men, come to worship Christ. Even they knew he was king. Verse, in that verse we read, that they come to worship, and what they do indeed, in chapter 2, verse 11, when they find him and go into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And so we've got this promised king, who all your hope and all my hope culminates in, who is king, who is worthy of worship, he's born, and he has come to save his people from their sin. Continue reading with me in chapter 2. Verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told them, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it, so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then the Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too might come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child of Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opened up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father's Herod, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. And in this section, we heard the opposition, the opposition that Jesus experiences from Herod. Herod hears there's a new king. There's a true king that's born. So Herod, he gathers all the information he can. He goes to the, the chief priest saying, where? Where should he be born? They said, Bethlehem. He goes to the wise men and he tries, okay, tell me all these things around the star. What does that look like? Where is this going? He asks this and then Herod puts on a show. He says, yes, go diligently. Search for the child because I too want to come and worship him. And we know that it's all trickery. He was lying because he wanted to kill him. He, wanted to, he was trying to deceive the wise men so he could come and kill the Messiah, the king. And after the wise men come, they find Jesus. They worship him. They give him gifts. After that, they're warned, do not go back to Herod, and so they leave. And then Herod, after he sees that these, he was tricked, it says he's furious, and he gives the order that all the boys under two years old should be slaughtered in Bethlehem. And I just say that, that's, can you imagine, that's Sawyer, that's my little boy, slaughters them all. But Jesus would not be killed yet. He cannot die as a little boy because he must die as an adult on the cross. He must die. The baby boy was saved because that baby boy must die for you and he must die for me. He must take on unthinkable shame, your shame and my shame, that little baby boy. And it was all planned by God long ago. 
And so this promised king come, he's promised, and he's promised to die for his people, to save his people. His name will be called Jesus, is what the angel says. And, and the word Jesus, um, just a little background, the word Jesus, is a, it's a transliteration, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is actually Joshua, it's the same name. But that word means Yahweh saves. Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. And so King Jesus, he comes to establish his kingdom. He comes to bring salvation for his people. He comes to have righteous judgment on the wicked. And it's through Jesus Christ that Yahweh saves his people. For Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And so we celebrate this morning that Jesus Christ has come. And that means salvation for us who believe in Christ. It means salvation from our sins. Christian, in Christ, through faith, your sins are no more. No more guilt, no more condemnation. They're no longer on you. As it says in Colossians, he's nailed the record of your sins. He's nailed that to the cross of Christ. It's done. It's finished. We have an eternal respite from our sins. We have rest from our sins because of Jesus Christ. That baby that's in the manger, 33 years later, he'd be attached to the cross and he would die for you and for me. We have relief from our sins. And I never grow tired of, of, of reminding myself and us of what we have in Christ. And I absolutely love how Paul writes things in Romans 8. So let me read just two passages from that. Romans 8, 1. The blessings that we have because of that baby in the manger. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, now we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none. Clearly, the accuser of our souls does not like that and does not like us to remember that. But there's no guilt. For those of us who have faith is in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for past sin, for present sin that you're in right now, and for future sin, it's done. It is done. And one of the most glorious passages, Paul ends Romans 8 with this. I I read it often because I absolutely love it. He says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regard as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's through death and that baby boy in the manger in Bethlehem that we celebrate this week. It is through his death that he must die he must be raised for your sake and mine that we can celebrate and we have no guilt, no condemnation, and we're saved from our sins. Amen? Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you so much, God. Lord, I think about my own sin in the past, in the present, and how weak 
I am in the future. We know our sin, God. We are intimate knowledge of our sin and how it just constantly before us. But Lord, you have taken that from us, our burden from us. Lord, we celebrate this week. You knew you were going to die. Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew it was going to be painful. He knew he was going to be separated from God the Father for a period. But he still came. And so, Lord, we are eternally thankful. And, Lord, may we honor you as we go out believing and trusting that we are forgiven in Christ through faith alone. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we can add, nothing that we're doing in the present, but we are forgiven, that we are free. We are absolutely free. And so, Lord, we thank you. And, Lord, we, we celebrate this week Jesus Christ, the promised King who has come to save his people from their sin. Amen.